Hi, my name is Morgan Maitland, and this is the King and Kingdom podcast, where we study the Bible to know the King and seek first His kingdom. In this series, we focus on understanding the Old Testament. I am an exile, a sojourner, a citizen of some other place. All I've seen is just a glimmer in a shadowy mirror, but I know one day I'll see face to face. My heart is filled with songs of forever, a city that endures where all is made new. I know I don't belong here. I'll never call this place my home. I'm just passing through. These are lyrics from the song In Exile by Thrice. So the Assyrian Empire conquers and disperses the people of Israel, that is the northern tribes, in the year 722 BC. The Assyrian Empire falls in 609 under the military campaign of a Babylonian general named Nebuchadnezzar. He allies with the Medes to dethrone the Assyrian Empire and establish the new Babylonian Empire. Now Nebuchadnezzar defeats Egypt at Carchemish in 605 BC and on his way back he attacks a little city called Jerusalem. Now Nebuchadnezzar takes Judah in three sieges and the author of Chronicles tells us why in 2nd Chronicles chapter 36. Listen, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. This is the first siege. Nebuchadnezzar also carried parts of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace. And the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations that he did and what was found against him, behold, they're written in the book of kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Now Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the spring of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels of the house of the Lord, and he made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. That is the second siege. Now Zedekiah was 21 years old, and he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He didn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of God. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, Following all the abominations of the nations, they polluted the house of God that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed 
They're young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. He had no compassion on the young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. This is the third siege. Now, what's the theme here? Why was Judah sent into exile? Well, you probably heard the reoccurring phrase. They were doing what was evil in the sight of God. They were sinning against him. And furthermore, they didn't listen to the warnings of God's messengers, the prophets. They refused to listen. So God raised up Babylon to punish them. Again, we see that sin brings judgment. Turning from God's law brings exile. Yet, despite Israel's sin and the consequences they experience, God isn't done with them. Even in exile, God proves he is still in control and he's faithful. He places his servant Daniel in a strategic position of influence to remind Israel and foreign empires of this reality. See, Daniel gives us an interesting perspective at a difficult time in Israel. While the people aren't in Israel, they are in exile in Babylon. But Daniel is not about bending fire. He's not about taming lions. He's, it's not so much even about him being a person of integrity or ghosts riding on walls, etc. Any of those isolated events in the book. If you understand the grand theme, its placement in history, you'll see that Daniel is about a king who reigns supreme. This king raises other kings and he crushes them. He empowers nations and he destroys them. He crowns the faithful. He humbles the proud. He makes promises and he keeps them. He brings redemption and hope to his people. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all other dominions serve and obey him. Daniel 7, 27. The Most High receives glory. And he receives glory even from the mouth of pagan kings. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declares this in Daniel 4. I will bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Darius of Persia declares this in Daniel 6. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. See, what those pagan kings just professed is the point of Daniel. God is king. He is the most high. And even during the exile, he displays his sovereign power by raising and destroying empires. He's in control. And just as faithless men are instruments in the hand of God, Daniel, as a faithful man, he's a strategic instrument in the hand of God. See, Daniel rises to become the right-hand advisor to, first, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, second, Belshazzar of Babylon, third, Darius of Persia, and fourth, Cyrus of Persia. Four world-renowned 
uh, leaders, kings, emperors of their empires in two different empires. Do you realize how crazy that is? That would be like having the same Secretary of State in the United States between two presidencies, okay? And then imagine China invades, and that same man becomes the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party across two presidential regimes. That's amazing. Only God could keep a man in a position like that. And he causes these kings of foreign nations to find favor in Daniel. And through Daniel, God gives significant kingdom prophecy to the people of Israel. Think about it. What did Israel need to hear while they were in exile? What did they lack? I'll bet they lacked hope. I'll bet they thought this is the end of us. Here we are, slaves to these great foreign empires. They probably feel like there's no hope of them returning to their land or God keeping his promises. But that is exactly the opposite of what God is going to do. God will keep his promises. And he shows the people of Israel that through Daniel's visions. Now, one vision in particular, we can compare uh, Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel chapter 2 with Daniel's vision in Daniel 7. In this vision, you see four world empires. Babylon, you have the Medes after them, then you have the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire. And these four empires rise and fall, but they are followed by a fifth forever kingdom that reigns supreme. Listen to the language here in Daniel 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms previously, and he'll bring them to an end. And this kingdom, his kingdom, shall stand forever. How about the words of Daniel 7? I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. See, an everlasting kingdom has been in the cards the whole time. And God shows through Daniel's visions, through his prophecy, that although these foreign nations rise and fall, and it seems like those kingdoms don't last, God's kingdom will last forever. And his kingdom is actually his plan to save sinners and restore the world. It's for the king and his kingdom. Now, Daniel's prophecies reinforce God's covenants, especially the new covenant. The covenants will not pass away. They will be fulfilled. We see that in the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is another prophet who writes during the exile. He was in the second siege taken into Babylonian captivity. Now listen to Ezekiel's words as he receives these words from heaven. This is new covenant language. This is God's promise to the people of Israel. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you 
and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Further in... uh, Ezekiel 37, this is what God says. He says, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And listen, one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations or divided into two kingdoms. Further in chapter 37 God says this my servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes they'll dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob my dwelling place shall be with them I'll be their God they shall be my people then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever more. See, from garden to garden, from kingdom to kingdom, from sanctuary, God's dwelling place, to sanctuary, God's dwelling place. God's plan is that he intends to establish his kingdom forever. And he will not break from that plan. He will not break from those promises that he gave Abraham, that he gave Noah, that he even gave Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned. The seed will continue. The seed will come. He will be a son of Abram. He will be a son of Judah. He will be a son of David. This is the promised one, the king, who will come to save the world. And this promise is critical for the people of Israel to grasp, to trust in, to hold on to, even in the midst of exile in a foreign nation. So Judah is in exile for 70 years. That is, by the way, exactly how long Jeremiah the prophet prophesied they would be in exile in Jeremiah 25, 11. At the end of the 70 years, again, God is in control from Israel's exile to their return. Listen to what God does at the end of 70 years in 2 Chronicles 36 says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah, 
Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let them go up. God moves in the heart of a pagan king to release his people from captivity and send them back to their land. God returns his people to, to the land so that they can reestablish their borders, so that he, they can rebuild him a temple, and they can get ready for the Messiah. This will lead us into the last phase of Old Testament history, Israel's return. God's faithful, isn't he? Despite Israel's wickedness, despite their sin, despite the judgment and the consequences that came upon them, God is faithful to be with his people, to keep his promises. Now, in the return phase, we'll see two great leaders rise up and lead the people of Israel according to God's law. Their names are Nehemiah and Ezra. These are two men who clearly understand everything we have and everything we do is ultimately for the king and his kingdom. Stay tuned for the next episode. 